thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, before we sort of get into the nitty gritty of ethics and ESG, which is where I'd like to go, can you just let us know a little bit about what you do um, and what you're responsible for um, at Westpac? Thanks, Chris. And it's really great to be here today. Uh, so my role is Grip Head of Sustainability at Westpac, and my role covers the sustainability strategic agenda for the organisation. So that, that includes climate change, human rights, includes ESG or sustainability risk, um, includes working with the business around how we think through position statements around sensitive sectors, and then how we're driving around sustainability for performance more generally. Um, my role also includes uh, social impact, uh, so how we think about volunteering and workplace giving activities, uh, including our also our reconciliation action plan, and then also um, our role through the Westpac Scholars Program and Westpac Foundation. So quite broad, um, but a very small team that um, that really. I guess, works with the business to realise those outcomes. Right. Yeah, we now have, I think it's about 40% of the global banking system uh, is now a signatory to the principles for responsible banking, which is pretty extraordinary um, when, you, when you think about it. And I guess the core tenets of the principles are that the organisation has to be committed to the Paris Agreement and to the Sustainable Development Goals, and that that is kind of core to your business strategy, your banking strategy. So when you think about the capacity for impact across 40% of the global banking system, that is quite significant. Um, and so, you know, part of the challenge is how do we each report on that? And then how do we hold each other to account in terms of year-on-year progress? Yes, so I was actually going to go there. Third of all, I did mm. want to ask, um, given um, Glasgow um, has just finished, would that adjust any of the, um, not recommendations or maybe not even the principles, but the expectations, is that going to lift the bar at all or do you think you're on track keeping with what you had? Oh, look, it's, it's, a, it's a really great question. So I guess in parallel to the principles for responsible banking, uh, um, we've, we've got the Net Zero Banking Alliance and both the NZBA um, or Net Zero Banking Alliance and the principles of responsible banking, PRBs. Unfortunately, and as you would have heard at um, COP26, there was a lot of discussion around the alphabet soup of all the acronyms, uh, which I thought was a, a great framing. Um, but we are, are both um, entities are part of the United Nations Environment Program Finance Initiative. Um, and so we actually share um, secretariat members um, and a lot of members are both members of the NZBA and the principles. And... I think what we'll see more and more is an expectation of those um, banks that are members of the Principles for Responsible Banking uh, will deliver on their climate commitments through participating through the Net Zero Banking Alliance. And I think we'll see. Um, I think we'll see a lot of momentum around the Net Zero Banking Alliance over the next year. I think a lot of um, it's been interesting. Some banks have dived in pretty fast. Others have said. Actually, we, do, we want to do some work first, really understand the implications of making that decision and then come out and support. So, uh, but I think you'll see an expectation. And we also have, um, through the principles of responsible banking, we've actually got a civil society advisory body. And uh, the civil society advisory body are also quite clear around wanting to see more progress on climate and uh, you know, see that the Net Zero Banking Alliance is, is a pathway to achieving that. And so how do we provide that um, ramp, if you like, for, for banks to, to make progress and start to adopt um, the, the guidelines uh, that are set out for the Net Zero Banking Alliance? Where it gets really interesting, though, is that 
You've got banks at different stages of their sustainability journey and their capacity to drive change. And you've also got banks in different parts of the world, um, including in uh, developing nations, um, where the capacity to invest in research, uh, to do the assessment of their banking portfolio is simply much harder. And also that the makeup of their economy uh, means that there might be a higher um, exposure to fossil fuels as well. Mm. So there's a lot of thinking going into then what do we do? How do we best support banks in that situation versus the banks that are in other parts of the world who might have greater capacity to move faster? So yeah, there's a lot of discussion and actually working with the civil society advisory body around those conversations is really quite powerful. What what is the appetite for authenticity behind these kinds of commitments as Mm. opposed to a necessity to look like you're doing the right thing and fall into that perception and that greenwashing we've seen in the Mm. past? And I'm wondering, are we moving out of that a little bit into a more authentic ethics space? What, What do you think? Oh, it's such a great question. So, you know, what's fascinating is that the regulators here in Australia now are really focused around these sorts of questions. And um, and we've also seen from a legal frame here in Australia a really significant focus on greenwashing and um, how to address that. I mean, it was really the ACCC that started talking about this probably 10 years ago, uh, but we're now seeing it um, reflected by other regulators as well and, um, and certainly the conversations from the legal community, particularly over the last year, have been quite strong as well. And we've actually seen a lot of legal activity. In fact, Australia um, arguably has the highest level of um, climate-related litigation in the world. So lots of caution there. So it's partly it's an ethics conversation, but it's also partly just um, a legal uh, consideration as well. But I think that is really interesting because I do think um, organisations do think quite differently now about stepping in and making these kinds of commitments. And I think people are much more thoughtful around the capacity for an organisation to deliver. I think once upon a time, and I've worked in, I guess, the sustainability space for almost 20 years now, I think um, in the early days, companies were quite um, excited to sort of jump in and and commit and then bring the organisation with them to deliver on that commitment. I think the whole space has matured substantially and there's a view now that if you're going to commit it can't just be a nice policy that sits on your website the capacity to then embed and then enable the organization to truly deliver on that commitment there's a there's a a sense that you're held to a much higher level of accountability now and that you've got to match what you say with what you do and people are looking for the results and they want to see the impact that matches with with the talk yeah integrity that's what you're Mm, describing yeah that's right yeah so, so I mean, with the banking and finance, though, there's very much a, a personal you know, mm. demonstration of integrity to say, you know, this time. And there's sometimes reticence behind that because people are fearful of making a mistake and then being judged for that. Mm. And I wonder just even in, you know, institutionally with commitments to ESG um, frameworks and whatnot, is there room for mistakes or do you think that those are going to have to be hidden? And I mean, I'm jumping right in there and I'm not talking yeah. about a particular institution at all, truly. Yes. But can institutions genuinely admit their mistakes? I think more than ever, you have to admit your mistakes. I think we also live in a world where it, there's hyper-transparency. So if you don't, others will call you on it. So I think being willing to say sorry that we got it wrong um, and, and doing that pretty quickly is really important. 
But then when you say sorry, then you've got to follow through with what does sorry actually mean? So what are you doing about the mistake that you made? What has the organisation learnt from that experience? How are you thinking about the impact to those uh, people that might have been um, harmed or impacted in some way through that mistake? And how you follow through on that. I mean, I, I think back to just a simple advice that I was given um, when I first started working, which is when you make a mistake, it's all about how you recover. And I think it's a really simple principle and making sure that the bad news travels really fast and that you work really hard on how you recover, whether it's you personally recovering from that mistake or whether it's your organisation recovering from the mistake and working through that in a really thoughtful way. Um, I think if you hide it, catches up with you we all know that you know I've been doing a bit of thinking around people's personal values and their professional values and understanding that if there's a clash there's a you know risk of a moral injury you don't you don't want to have that clash Mm. I wonder over your time and you're talking 20 years in sustainability so 20 years ago when you brought your whole person to yourself and your moral compass to to work Mm. um, wherever that may be again it's not about a particular institution yeah how hard was it and and how different has that been over time? Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting. So I think to kind of step back and when I reflect on my career, I started out as an architect and then went into the public sector, then into property development, then into another property development company and then into banking. And I remember friends of mine kind of really questioning me saying, oh, my goodness, you've stepped into property development. Why have you done that? And then into another property development company that was probably even further behind uh, and then and then making the big step into banking and kind of friends challenging me on that and saying, well, how can you do that? And I've always kind of brought the frame of um, I'm an innie. I love working inside really large organisations and I guess that's what I've learnt about myself. And then I'm really, I think the capacity when you work inside large organisations, your capacity to actually create change is really quite substantive. Um, when you deliver a new policy, when you put out a sustainability report, when you take action on climate change, when you're progressing some particular facet of human rights, or if you get the opportunity to be involved in things like principles of responsible banking, you get all these platforms for extraordinary change. And that's what drives me every day. The challenge is that sometimes the change can be slow, but when you deliver on that change, the ripple effect um, is really quite enormous. So there are times when, I mean, someone like me can get frustrated because things aren't moving fast enough, but also if you take the time to build credibility inside a larger organisation, you get the opportunity to be a little more outspoken or to not agree or to ask questions. And I guess that's what I tend to do. I'm, I'm someone who will ask questions that, to get people to think differently. I mean, I do get advice from people from time to time saying, well, maybe don't just tell us what you think the answer is. Maybe ask the question of us or maybe give us some options and and help us navigate to get there so that we're finding the answer ourselves. And I think that's really um, useful advice um, because sometimes I can be a bit too kind of in there with what I think that the right way might be. Um, But asking questions often can open up the permission to do things. And I think that's what I, I learned when I first started working in sustainability. I remember asking my then CEO of a company, I wasn't you know, just as I was kind of getting excited about this space and the potential, I, I asked him what that company was doing about sustainability and he looked at me and said, well, what are you doing about it? And I just took that as licence to go and do a bunch of things and I did. Um, 
And, uh, and I kind of had this view that, well, the CEO asked me this question, what am I doing about it? So I'm just going to go and do a bunch of things about it. At that stage, I was working as an urban designer in a, in a large property development business and actually pulled off a few things that were really quite significant. So he turned around and said to me afterwards, he said, you know, you asked me a question that, frankly, I really didn't know how to answer. Um, so I asked you the same question back to you. And look at what you've done. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and then said, well, let's create a new job for you. Let's, let's, create, let's appoint you as our first sustainability manager. Um, so that was a lovely conversation. But it really taught me a, a really wonderful lesson around asking questions, even asking questions of the most senior leaders in your organisation can sometimes open up a space where there's an opportunity and some permission to go and explore some big ideas, maybe even take some actions. How do you feel uh, in other areas of banking where this kind of issues, ESG may not be top of mind, you know, looking more at the sort of numbers-driven, different parts of the institution? How do you bring those people along for the journey, that ethics journey? So in many respects, my job is around, and my team's job is around seeing what's kind of new or emerging um, helping the business make sense of those ideas or initiatives and then supporting the business to take them on board, um, whether it's through risk management tools, whether it's around new products and services and making it part of their business. And then our job is to kind of go and find the next things. Um, what are the, the emerging areas that we need to be ad addressing or on top of? And then building it in, baking it into the organisation. And so there are all sorts of different ways that we do that, whether it's through training programs, um, whether it's about um, helping uh, leaders actually build out their own ESG expertise that they'll need in their part of the organisation, whether it's about introducing them to, to people or um, highlighting opportunities around services and products. There are lots of different ways that we do that. So there's no kind of one easy answer. It actually comes in lots of different ways, multiple ways, but ultimately it's about appealing to people's idea of what does um, leadership and success look like? And framing success in a way that is around benefits rather than simply a financial outcome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I'll start with accountability then. So how does that work with, with the principles for responsible banking? What, what does accountability look like? And let's take it from a, a global perspective and then let's bring it down to an institution. You know, are there specific people that that hold accountability or is it something that you try to embed into everybody? Oh, look, it's um, for us overarching in terms of the principles for responsible banking, it, the way in which we uh, seek to hold ourselves to account is through that civil society advisory body. And having a, a group of civil society leaders that we engage with, um, that is the, the board of the principal responsible banking engages with the, the, those leaders from civil society on a, on a regular basis, is um, it's challenging, but we learn so much through that and uh, it, it enables us to drive and push further. Um, we've just been through an exercise where we've published our first collective impact report. So that's looking at the collective impact of all the members, looking at our first um, reports and, and bringing that together into one document. And then we invited the civil society advisory body to look through all that data and for them to make comments around, um, I guess, constructive comments around, around that progress. And, you know, they called out that there's some progress being made on climate, but it needs to move faster. They called out that actually there's a long way to go on biodiversity 
um, and that needs to really move up the list in terms of areas of focus. And there was also a discussion around human rights, which for some members of the banking, um, the principles for responsible banking is really complicated. You know, there are some um, jurisdictions globally where this is a very, very difficult uh, topic of conversation. So it is it is really um, interesting. They certainly hold us to account. They have really challenging conversations with us. Um, and they provide that perspective, and then we publish that information. So we're kind of putting that information out there. You know, we've got that kind of sunlight around the process and the information for others to comment on us. And if that conversation continues to be constructive, then I think in a way that is success, and that's a form of holding ourselves to account in terms of putting us ourselves out there to that kind of um, discussion and rigor yeah. and transparency. I love this idea that you're tapped into where better practices might be in your peer banks as well. I think there's that's part of what I love actually so much about um, the principles of responsible banking is um, it's all about it, it, a huge part of it is about challenging yourself, but actually it's about learning and um, and always knowing that you don't have all the answers, but you can tap this extraordinary network of other banks around the world to learn more. And I guess you know, I should go back to uh, at the end of 2017 when we launched the principles. It was almost like this kind of profound insight that all the banks had together, which is, you know, for so long and typically I think financial institutions, you know, were, can be quite competitive. But there was this moment um, when we were all gathered there in New York that there was a real sense of these problems that we face into today, particularly climate, one of us or even a small group of us can't really have a material impact around this. We absolutely have to collaborate. We have to share methodologies, align methodologies, share and align around how we measure performance if we're really going to have impact. And if we do that, and the fact that we're now approaching almost half the global banking system, if we do that really well, the, the opportunity and the scale of impact together is going to be quite extraordinary. So, you know, there was a moment of actually the collaboration is actually what is so important and that we have to shift our mindset from competition to collaboration was um, quite extraordinary. And I think that's something I've really learned through this, this process. But I guess, you know, you're right, coming back to the accountability, that's got to be part of it as well yeah. and that willingness to be transparent. Um, and I think, you know, of course, individual organisations do that through reporting and transparency. Um, and then in terms of how we do that as, as individuals, I certainly know within my own organisation, um, particularly over the last two years, there's been a, a really extraordinary focus around how we as leaders um, within uh, the bank take accountability and are clear about what our accountabilities are. Um, and so I have a statement of accountability for my role and um, it compels me to be really crisp around what am I responsible for, um, who can, you know, uh, what relationships both internally and externally, I'm responsible for what are the deliverables that I need to deliver, um, and and having um, conversations with some of my peers saying, well, actually, I think I'm accountable for this part, and you're accountable for that part. And being really crisp and clear about how that works has actually been enormously helpful. I would say mm. um, it's been a really great exercise, but also it makes it really clear to you and then to your team around what we have to do, yeah. um, and then if there are mistakes or if things go wrong you know, where you have to face into that and be clear about um, how yeah. you're going to do better going forward. And I think send that message too that if it does go wrong, it doesn't mean you're losing your job. It means we need to learn why did it go wrong? How do we amend that? Make sure it doesn't make sure everyone else understands that this can happen and, and address it. 
and celebrate the wins on top of it. I think it's so important. Yeah, actually, my division a few weeks ago, um, uh, um, there were a number of us who um, uh, shared um, various examples of mistakes that we had all made and well, what had happened and, and what we've done about it. And um, it was a really, it was a really um, great session and people shared that they really enjoyed hearing about it. But also it means that when a bunch of leaders do that, you're sending a message that um, yeah, if you make a mistake, you know, let's find a way to solve it um, and, and we learn from it. And, you know, being a learning organisation I think is really important. Yeah, in fact, the BFO uh, just implemented on there a sort of impact statement so that people can write in anonymously. Ideally, I'd like it not to be anonymous. I think the, the anonymity in itself is part of the problem, but mm. at this stage it is where there's situations where they've been tested and tried and, and where ethics was in the fore and made them think, no, I've got to do something different about this and what happened and et cetera, you know, and just to, you know, keep ethics in the fore, which is, you know, obviously the goal of, of any kind of initiative. Well, actually, it takes me back to when um, I worked on my very first sustainability report very long time ago and I was so excited that we got the report out the door and um, and I remember speaking to an ESG um, analyst, you know, uh, investor, and um, and I said to him, oh, did you, know, did you see our first sustainability report? I'm so excited. What did you think? I'd love your feedback. And he said to me, he said, well, Siobhan, if you deliver another sustainability report like that, I'm just going to chuck it in the bin. And I was just crestfallen. I was, I was so excited. I said, what, what do you mean by that? He said, you only told me the good news. So your next report, you must make sure that you talk about the things that didn't work out, the mistakes that were made. What are you going to do differently? You've got to tell me the stories, the harder stories, and and, um, and where you're not performing, you've got to give me some insights on what you're going to do differently or what you've learned from that experience. And it was was a really, really wonderful piece of feedback and a piece of feedback I've taken into, into boardrooms since when I've been working on sustainability reports around the importance of actually getting the right balance. So now, I mean, now we know in a lot of sustainability guidance, whether it's the GRI or... Uh, SASB or others, you know, they're very clear about the importance of actually having good balance in sustainability reporting. But it was great to get that message really early really in my early. sustainability yes. career. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Noted. Um, yeah. Just a couple of points. I know we're running out of time, but uh, I, I watched um, your institution's report, ESG report to market, actually, which was open mm. to the public. It was really interesting to hear the kind of questions that were coming from the media or investors that were looking at the more diverse, um, I suppose, ESG elements, such as diversity and inclusion, such as um, ethical AI algorithms mm. of development, even as far as recruitment and whatnot. So I'm just wondering if you feel like the ESG umbrella is so full, a, a, an opportunity, not an opportunity, but is there an issue where perhaps it's just going to be too many balls to hold up in the air, to watch, to be accountable for? And how, how do we do that? What does a, an overall framework look like that captures all of those things? Uh, so it's great because I am, it, it's it's going to sound really wonky, but I'm a really big believer in materiality. So what matters most to an organisation and how do you work through a process around what you then focus on? Because you're right, you can't do it all. And even things like the sustainable development goals, you can't work on all 17 at the same time. Yeah. You've got to yeah. be really clear about 
what are the goals that mean most to your organisation and where you've got the greatest capacity to drive for impact? And so I think really being um, tight and clear about materiality and, and by, the, by that I mean as an organisation you, um, you assess what your stakeholders expect you to be doing. What are the biggest issues that your stakeholders believe that you need to be addressing? And then looking inside your organisation and saying, and what do we have the greatest capacity to address and then to drive to impact on? And then what's that kind of sweet spot between the stakeholder expectation and the capacity of the organisation and what your leaders believe you ought to be doing and kind of getting that, that, that overlap between stakeholder expectation and, I guess, capacity of, and purpose of the organisation and getting that alignment. And that's kind of where you land on materiality, what matters most. I mean, the acceleration in the focus on ESG over this year has just been unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think it's been a number of different factors. I think, um, I think, and I think it's almost like a perfect storm of factors. So I think the pandemic um, has led to people thinking differently, but it's also shown them that, when we need to change, we can change fast. Yeah, you know, actually, you know, we can adapt. We can we can actually make decisions really fast when we're kind of under a bit of pressure. So there's been something about that. I think we've also been sitting up inside our homes, you know, doing doing things differently and perhaps have had a little bit more time to think. And and perhaps thinking beyond just the the bottom line, but thinking in a broader way around this world that we live in. And I think people have paused and reflected and thought a little differently about what kind of world they want to live in. I think we've obviously we've had some pretty um, substantive um, uh, climate events over the last years, whether it's the bushfires here in Australia uh, in a, and in other parts of the world. Yes. Um, yeah, so you know, that, I think that's I think that's had some pretty profound um, considerations here in Australia. I think, um, and I think there's there's just a kind of a, a shifting tide. I think, and I, you know, and I think we also live in this world of hyper transparency around social media as well. So. When you know you, you can't get away with things that perhaps you might have been able to get away with in the past, so I think that's how all these different things come together that the expectation is that organisations need to perform better and that they need to be um, they need to be able to account for not just their financial performance but also their social and environmental performance as well. Um, and you know, where, where will those organisations be rewarded over the longer term? Well, it may not be just how it gets reflected in your share price, but it may be around whether your organisation is even around in 10 or 50 years' time. I think it's, um, and I think it's, you know, it's also how you choose to judge yourself as well. You know, is it about, is it about the dollars? Is it about the fact that you go to, uh, to work every day for a place where you feel good about the work that you do and, and that it also attracts other great people that you enjoy working with and you feel good about the outcome that you're delivering in the community and hopefully you're delivering a good um, financial return to your organisation as well. Hopefully you can aim for that alignment. And I think there's plenty of examples of organisations that have achieved that alignment and great, you know, and are delivering um, great performance and outcomes for customers in the broader community. Mm. Okay. I mean, I can keep talking, but... But <laughs> that's so could I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Um, thanks for, for your words. And it's really quite inspirational. I think uh, your leadership style um, and the impact that you've had in the work that you've done over your time, both personally and, and professionally, is inspiring. And, uh, and I hope that people who listen to the podcast um, take some of that energy and say, as an individual, I can make a difference. You know. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. No, I really enjoy talking to you today.